And last week we met Skip, the man who turns microalgae into surfboards. Actually, Robert Pomeroy, a leading professor of chemistry and enterprise. UC San Diego has a long history of climate change research. So it was a paper by Roger Revelle and Hans Zeus that studied the dilution of the carbon-14 isotopes that showed that it was building up in the atmosphere, so they did know that this was a potential problem. Then Dave Keeling, Dave was his nickname, you know, Charles David Keeling. But everybody, like you're Skip. <laughs> yes, like I'm Skip. So everybody knew him as Dave around here. So he basically went and decided to gather the CO2 at Mauna Loa because, you know, there you're away from the influences of large cities and it's well mixed. And so the idea was to see this. And the real beauty of what he did, though, was these were exquisitely made measurements that were done so well that you could actually see the diurnal change, right, between day and night and the seasons. And so when you look at that graph, while you see this constant upturn, if you look at it on a magnified scale, you'd see a zigzag by season and then a zigzag by day. It also turns out that one of the uh, leaders of the discussion of the politics, who is now at Harvard, Naomi Oreskes, used Mm -hmm. to be here at the University of California, San Diego. Yeah, so when I came back here as a faculty member in 2007, she was actually the provost of the college that I joined. So I know Naomi, and, and in fact, I still use her book, The Merchants of Doubt, when I teach my summer classes in climate change to sort of explain that it was the same group of people who defend the tobacco industry were the same people that they were being used to defend the petroleum industry. And she has a regular column in Scientific American. Now, meanwhile, what are your plans for the future to expand? What we're looking to do now is, to me, it's about the intellectual property of can you make all these different sorts of materials and make them so that they're economically reasonable, but more importantly, that they fit the application. So we're looking to make high quality rain gear by being able to coat fabrics in such a way that the holes in our films are small enough that water droplets can't go through, but that water vapor from your sweat could actually leak out, right? So that you're not sitting in a a tent and being marinated in your own sweat. It's things like that, but we've made cell phone cases. We're looking to make furniture foam, all these different applications. But where we're usually stepping in is at the high end level because that's where there's a bigger margin. But that's also the way that we create the steps for scale because you got to start making this stuff at ever greater scale to achieve the overall savings. So you have to build up a client list of people who use the material and slowly build that up until some point in the future, I will argue, either the cost of petroleum will go up high enough or the cost of our materials will come down low enough. But at some point, there'll be a crossover and then there'll be no more need to use petroleum for this. And finally, the people who have been working, you said you're working with, of course, uh, algae, which are in great big vats and so on, but uh, the people who've been working with kelp and such like have had a certain amount of problems with the ways in which the crops are diminishing. Even those kelp forests down the south of Australia aren't what they used to be in various ways. So are you able, do you think, to keep up with the supply of the algae in your vats? So I'm a chemist, and I'm an analytical chemist, and I fit into the team by doing all the analytical metrics. And so we have biologists and synthetic chemists. But what I've come to find out that's sort of interesting is it's almost like I dare you not to grow algae, right? I mean, it just tends to crop up every place. And so the beauty of this stuff, these critters, is that 
they don't require potable water. They don't require arable land to grow in. So you, you can go into a desert, an extreme place, and you can grow them in really high alkaline waters and, and so on. You pick out the right strains to do these things, right? And then the predators that would normally prey on them around your house, let's say, can't really get after them if you grow a strain that's in really high pH water. So I think that the ability for us to be able to grow these things is, once again, it's going to be a scale problem. And the Department of Energy is trying to address that. And they recently gave Algenesis $4.5 million to scale up because they understand that the problem is you can't run a biopolymers industry without the algae being grown. But if you're a grower, why would you grow the algae if you don't have someone to sell it to? And so they're, they're trying to link those two forces together. But I would argue to you that we should be able to grow all the algae we want. And the beauty of this, though, is it also then has the potential in time to completely decentralize the energy market because anybody anywhere should be able to grow their own energy. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Thank you for your time. Robert Skip Pomeroy with an industry based on microalgae, making surfboards and shoes from seaweed, absorbing CO2 as he goes.